Hi, neighbors. How's it going? It's good to be here with you. Best announcements ever, by the way. Doesn't, doesn't matter how bad they are. You're just so cute. She would just, you know, it's just acceptable in all ways. Um, like you said, my name is Lance. I'm a pastor in Claremont at a church called Communion. Uh, Chelsea, my wife, and I have been there for a little while now. Um, we have two little girls. They were really shy this morning, and I was thinking to myself, the church name is Neighbors. You can't be shy going to a church named Neighbors, right? It's just how it works. We got one more on the way. And if you can do me one favor today, can you find Chelsea and just tell her that Barnabas is a good name for a boy? Can you please tell her that? I want to call a boy Barney. Okay, side note, sorry. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 2. If you've got a Bible, whether print or digital, open up and turn there. Um, so you guys have been asking some really helpful questions in this space of figuring out what a life of worship was. I stole from some from your website, if I can find them in here. Uh, what does it mean to be de a devoted follower of Jesus? Uh, and what does it mean to worship and how do we do it? And so hopefully today I can bring maybe just a, a couple notes of, of just a practical sense of how do we worship every day? Um, inevitably, when you meet somebody new, there's a question, hey, what's your name? Maybe how old you are. That sounds like a weird question to say, how old are you? Um, so that's what old people say. That's obviously not, okay. Um, but the, the inevitable question that comes next is, what do you do for a living? What do you do for work? Um, can you guys shout it out? Can you give me a couple occupations? What do you do for work right now? Just yell it out. What was that over here? No. Trainer, okay. Announcements, artist. <laughs> you should find another job, seriously. Uh, <laughs> anything else? Give me like one or two more. What's your job? What was that? Teacher. Chef. Chef. This is a good group. All right. I'm going to be hanging out here for a while. Um, yes. And to a shout out to all the moms and dads in the back. We're thankful that you're here. It's a beautiful vocation as well. Not necessarily a job, but a wonderful vocation in, in that sense. Um, right, this is the question that inevitably comes up in most of us, and the crazy thing about it is most of us will spend something like 90,000 hours at work. That's a third of your life. Think about this. Some of the best energy and time is at your job. It's spent at your job. Um, maybe that question you're embarrassed to answer, what do you do for a living? I remember my first job at Vons. It was great in the Claremont Square. Shout out to anyone who knows where that is. <laughs> Um, there's nothing more fulfilling in life than having the immense responsibility to ask the question, would you like carry-out service, right? <laughs> right? Or maybe you work at Starbucks, you're like, you answer the question, you know, I'm working at Starbucks, but I'm just getting through school. Maybe some of you, it's an answer full of shame, you've lost a job. Um, I think a stay, a describing to people that you're a stay-at-home parent is such a a hard and terrible thing to do, yet it's one of a beautiful and a meaningful vocation. And I'm sure there's other examples, but why? Uh, the, the whole reason for this is to just call it out and say there's a lot of baggage around this question, what do you do for work? A lot of baggage, whether it's joy of like, I have a great job, it's make a lot of money, I feel like I'm responsible to, full of shame, you have something you don't want to describe to someone. It's full of baggage. Why is it that way? And I think it's because we've come to this cultural moment where there's this lie that's like infiltrated our hearts, minds, soul, and strength that says this, you are what you do, right? Your value, your meaning is all dependent upon your success and what you do or what you create. And so in this sense, our callings, our vocations have become our jobs and our careers. And I think that's dangerous when we do that because a job can't be fulfilling in the, in the ways that our souls long for it. 
And we'll get, that, get to that in a second. And, and honestly, maybe um, you're just too burned out to even try to think about this, but how does your calling, how does your job, how do all of these things work together in faith um, to produce worship? There's this insidious side to it as well, right? There's like, what do the young kids say? I'm just working to hustle or make that paper. Maybe that's just what John says uh, on stage, right? <laughs> but there's, in, there's, the, there's this insidious side too. There's Cicero, a Roman philosopher, says that when you, no longer, uh, when you are no longer what you were, then there is no reason left for living. And so if we place our identities on our careers, such a fragile place to put them, there's going to be some issues, especially towards when we talk about worship. Instead, this is what the kingdom truth. This is like the thesis for our morning. Are you ready? Work. Your nine to five, Monday through Friday, whatever your working hours are, work instead is a sacred element of life created for humans before the fall to participate in stewarding God's creation. I know that's a mouthful, but we'll break it down as we go. Work is worship. And how does your nine to five connect with God's desire for the kingdom? There is a connection. And hopefully this morning we'll be able to see it, that your work has potential to be sacred, that can be used to worship God. It's a vocation or a calling that's good to be used to love and serve your neighbor. So where do we begin? Well, we have to begin in Genesis because that's the beginning. Uh, so <laughs> Genesis 1, verse 1 and 3. I wanna, we first have to see God modeling this in the Old Testament, that God does work first himself. So Genesis 1, 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now there's something beautiful about Genesis because this is only the work that God could do. Um, he took nothing, or in the language of the Hebrews, he took chaos and made order and brought beauty and made everything with purpose and meaning. And so there's a distinct, holy, unique nature about God's work. Um, like an orchestra, the universe was, is finely tuned to allow life to flourish. Um, but this is so wonderful to see that God is working. God is a worker. He works. Um, he would continue, like, why would God need to rest, right, if he doesn't work? So Genesis 2 says, on the seventh day, God finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. So God models what a healthy work looks like. And I know you all at Neighbors are good about talking about Sabbath, so we don't need to talk about Sabbath, right? We're good? You feeling good? I didn't, I'm a little bit concerned it wasn't as like, excited as I thought it was going to be, but it's fine. Um, so God models this healthy work life. He, it consists of work and rest. Work and rest. Work and rest. And they're both good. So God plants the garden in Genesis 2. Um, I love just picturing this like God had dirt under his fingernails. Like he wasn't lazy or overworked, and what he did was good. His work was good. Now, if we were just to be really specific about some of the things that God did, would we consider them sacred right now in this moment? God was an artist. He created beautiful things. He was a gardener. He planted trees, uh, plants, fruit, all of these things that Adam and Eve would eat and participate in. He was a caretaker. He watched over Adam and Eve and created a space that was safe and secure for them. See, the major problem for us is we've aligned career and calling together, and they've become synonymous. And it's created this really terrible divide within our hearts and minds as we look towards our normal work. There's this thing called the, the sacred and the secular divide. Anyone familiar with this? 
the sacred, right? The sacred is the pastors, the worship leaders, the missionaries, whether locally in the U.S. or internationally. And I just want to say this, that work is good, and I'm not taking away from any of that. But what we are saying is there's this divide that says everything else is secular. It's permissible. It's just stuff to like make that paper, as I said earlier. It's just to pay bills. It's just something we have to do in this life. And this divide is not in Scripture. It's not from God. It's this diversion. It's this, um, this perversion of God's design for work in life. I love what uh, Dorothy Sayers says. She's a, a theologian and a prolific writer in the faith, and she puts it this way. How can anyone remain interested in a religion which seems to have no concern with nine-tenths of his life? Like, seriously, though, this divide has created such a terrible thing within the church. And so you show up and you uh, hear the professional speak as Shua claimed that I am. I'm the professional pastor, right? (laughs) And then you go off to do your permissible things to make money and pay for your bills. And how tragic it is for us to see work in that way. Because it was God who first worked and he gave his work to his people. And that means that obviously work is good. Um, In Genesis 2.15, it says this, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. This happened before sin. This happened before the fall. So God was a gardener and he gives men and women the same work to do in this world. Now, I don't know what your picture of the Garden of Eden was, but I'm gonna tell you mine, all right? It was just a lot of cake. Just like a cake everywhere. No one likes cake. Okay, that just fell short a little bit. Okay, what about like a, a inner tube and a lazy river and like animals fed you grapes, right? Like unicorn rides reclining on the lazy boy for eternity. Like that's what I pictured the Garden of Eden to be and how wrong I was. There's work there to do. There's meaningful and important calling that God was inviting humanity to participate with him in this beautiful place we call earth. What was the point of this? Um, any of you done like a, a read through the Bible uh, over a year? Some of you have done that? Yeah, it's good. If you haven't done that, it's a good practice to get into, um, aside from other practices as well. There's this passage in Genesis 2 that I know all of you got to and you like skipped it because you're like, well, I don't understand. It's describing rivers and there's like some golden. I don't know what's happening. Like when you get to the genealogies in Matthew and you're like, check the box. I'm good. I can just kind of scroll through. I've seen these names before. I'm calling you out. This is a time of confession. So this is your chance. Um, There's this passage in Genesis 2 chapter 10 that talks about this river watering the garden from Eden. Um, And then it just begins to describe all of these um, raw materials in verse 12. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. And it just describes like the the area, the the rivers that are meeting into the space. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever done this before. If you're like hiking in the mountains and just found like a ring on the ground. Did that just develop from the ground or did someone drop it, right? Like maybe that's your dream come true. Maybe you could quit your job then and go do something else if that would give you enough finances. But the truth is that God was inviting people to work and work was a cultivation of what God had made to take all of these good things that God had created in the beginning and create something beautiful, whether it's rings or houses or cities or homes, but to cultivate what God had created it to begin with. And it's be good and work is good because then it becomes worship. In Genesis 2.15, there's two Hebrew words that I would want to draw your eye to. They're avad and shamar. Avad means to serve, to, to till, to toil, Um, And shamar means to keep or watch or guard over. And this is exactly the language that's used as proclaimed over Adam and Eve, what their work was intended to do in the garden. 
And this is the same work uh, wonderfully attached to the work of the priests um, later in the Old Testament as well. So just to summarize where we're at this moment, Adam, was to, Adam and Eve were to partner with God in bringing order to the kingdom. God created everything and it was good and he passed off this work of managing and caring and curating creation to his people to cultivate and build culture, to take the raw materials found in the garden and to develop what God had created. We're just to sit here for one second to recognize this, that it's not necessarily the work that's sacred, but it's you that's sacred. And it's God passing off this meaningful and sacred work to you that makes it sacred. It's, it's the call or design over your life to partner with God in an active way in creation. See, sacred activity has less to do with what is produced, um, what action is taken, and more to do with your heart, your intention, and your vision. See, work is good and given by God before the fall. And so our work can be worship, and it can be good when it's done unto God as well. So if we speed forward to the New Testament... Paul, I think, is riffing off of this idea from Genesis in Colossians 3 when he's describing this to the church in Colossae. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So now work is reorientated, reor reoriented towards not our manager or our boss or the CEO of the company that we've never met before, but he's signing your checks. Um, it, it turns towards God, and now your work is a way to serve God and to serve neighbors in your local sphere of influence, wherever that is. Um, Romans 12, I love the message version, um, it puts it this way. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. And now work, our whole life, Monday through Friday, becomes an opportunity for us to worship. Now, this is where we really need to get very specific, and this is where we need to call out the secular, sacred like, dichotomy that's stuck, like ingrained in our hearts and our soul, and, and call some things out. First, what is the most important thing you can do? What is your primary vocation? Your primary vocation is to enjoy and worship God. That's it. This is your primary, the most, the, the most epic thing you can do with your soul Monday morning before emails, before raising kids, before breakfast, before all these things is to God. See, our primary vocation is not to a career or a job because we can lose those jobs and those careers, but our primary calling is secure in God. I love what Oz Guinness puts it this way. Our primary calling as followers of Christ is by him, to him, and for him. Now, this is where we have to start, is I can just feel like the tension even in my own soul and heart as we recognize that my job as a pastor is not to become a successful pastor of a large church of all these things that I've put expectations for, but my primary calling before anything is to serve God. You, before as an accountant going into the office Monday morning before uh, spreadsheets and ridiculous formulas that I feel like are just like a different language, before you do any of those things, your primary calling is to God. And if we are able to set ourselves in this identity, in this identity of the gospel, then we have the freedom to move to these secondary things. Are you listening? It's not to mean that you're supposed to just stick at home and lock the door and fortify yourself from culture. But when we are able to acknowledge that our primary vocation is to and for God, then we have the freedom to move to these secondary things to serve other people. 
So David Benner would put it this way. Our vocation is a call to serve God and our fellow humans in the distinctive way that fits the shape of our being. Now, I, I sent a graphic. I don't know if you got it. It was kind of late. The, the vocation. All right. We'll keep going. No, we're good. It was my fault. I sent it like an hour before. And you were probably thinking through like what you're going to say during announcements. It was really a challenging and stressful, <laughs> super stressful time for you. Um, so I want you to think about it this way. Your primary vocation to God is at the top. Like this is, this is exactly what you're called and designed to do, to be in communion with God, to worship, to enjoy him. And your secondary vocations come out in a bunch of different ways. Uh, there was a chef. I think there's a nurse here. There's a trainer. There's a stay-at-home parents. There's artists. There's musicians. There's rappers. I don't think I've ever been able to say that before. So there's a rapper in the house, right? Like these are all secondary vocations that come after the freedom that you found in your identity and your primary vocation. Neighbors, family, brothers, sisters, where does your contentment come from? Does it come from the success of your job? the numbers or amount of zeros in your bank account? Does it come from your title? Does it come from the success that you found there? Does it come from anything that you've attained in your career? Can we say no? Can we just claim that for all of us and say that our primary fulfillment and contentment comes from the vocation to God first? That's our calling. And then everything else is shaped by the way that God has created us and flows out to meet people where they are in need in our city. All right, some loose ends, some practical things before we close. Um, work then, if this is true, if, if our primary vocation is to God and all of these secondary things are vocations and callings that we get to meet the world, then work becomes a, a way to become selfless. Work then becomes a way to serve and help other people to flourish. So the, the normal goal of our jobs typically is just to get a paycheck but if we reorient the goal and it's shaped by humility, then work becomes a way to love and serve people in our neighborhood. At your job, can you, like the simple low-hanging fruit, right? This is like the cliche pastor thing to say. I'm going to say it because I'm not going to see you next week. So you can just, whatever. Um, you can pray for other people. Um, can you train someone and give them access to your skills and experience that you've gained throughout your career? Can you steward those relationships? So instead of putting, uh, instead of just showing up and putting in your time and clocking out and leaving, you show up and ask the spirit, how can I be generous today with all that God has blessed me to love someone, a, a coworker that drives you crazy, a boss that has crazy expectations for your work? Can we begin to just allow the spirit to reorient our eyes and the ways we see these work? How can I, with my abilities and skills and opportunities, be a greater service to other people in my uh, workspace? Um, the second thing, just a loose end, is work is not the way it should be. And I feel like just an existential groan from like inside saying, um, the world is broken. And so your job will be frustrated, even if it's a vocation you feel calling to, or it's a vocation that you feel like in this time, this is where God has me. Um, you may be exhausted, and the Bible describes this in Genesis 3. It says, cursed is the ground because of you through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. Now, I know we're in the hippest part of, uh, of San Diego, so I don't know if there's really any farmers in the house. And so maybe like toil or producing food is, is that, that agrarian metaphor is not something you can really uh, attest to. But can you just picture the toil that you experience in your job? Like the hospitality industry, just terrible clients or people walking into your store. 
um, the pain that's, that's in just like the hospital, people dying and families missing loved ones. Of like, Can you just picture in this moment the toil that you experience in your vocation? And that is a result of sin in the fall. Uh, the last thing I wanted to touch on just as a loose end is a recognition that work has a tendency to become an idol. Work has, has it turned into a new religion. An idol is something that we elevate in our lives in a place to a position um, where we find our uh, true meaning and identity from, um, where we try to gain the longings and desires of our hearts to find fulfillment. And this is a, obviously a fragile place to put it. But work can become an idol that we worship. I wanted to try something new as a way of closing this out. And I wanted us to stretch our imaginations in a way to, to begin to apply this idea that our secondary vocations become a way to provide love and service for other people. Um, so I'm thinking of like creative work, artists, uh, hairstylists, designers, architects, contractors, all of these people. Your creative work images God in a beautiful way. As God took the chaos of creation and brought order and beauty, so you too, with a canvas or a keyboard, you bring beauty to creation as well in your work, and you image God in this way. Like, and you think of like the keyboard, if someone got up and just like pounded the keys, how terrible that would sound. Uh, just like the cacophony of noise would be like hurting our ears, and yet artists have the ability to create melodies and harmonies and develop songs that inspire and, and work out beauty in our minds. I don't know, maybe John Keith could throw some 808s on a smash keyboard and it'd be fine. But that's a whole other conversation. Justice work, lawyers, diplomats, supervisors, all of you people get to image God in bringing justice to victims and innocent people. Uh, compassionate work, nurses, nonprofit directors, social workers, EMTs, uh, stay-at-home parents all have the wonderful work of being caretakers and imaging God in these spaces. Like all of you uh, have an opportunity to image God's work in creation and reveal that work can be worship when it's rightly ordered under God. Um, so just some thoughtful questions for you uh, to think about through how your work might image God this next week. Um, the, the first question is, uh, what unique vantage point into the brokenness of the world does your job give you? What sin do you experience? What rebellion do you experience as you enter into the workplace? And what would it look like for the kingdom to come completely at your work site? What would be different? What would change? What would be healed? What would be renewed? And then you get to, through the inspiration of the Spirit, to begin to work at those things and revealing Jesus and the kingdom in these environments. I'll uh, invite uh, Shua back up. I think we're going to participate in the Lord's table. Let me just close in a word of prayer. Uh, Father, we thank you for this morning. Um, Lord, we thank you for the capital that's in this room, not in money or prestige or image, but in skills and talents and vocations. Um, Lord, we pray for the artists, Lord, that they would be inspired to create beautiful things that image your work in creation. We pray for the nurses, the stay-at-home parents, um, all of these people who are caring for other people. We just pray that you'd give them patience and energy to meet the needs of those that are around them. Um, Lord, we pray for anyone in the room that feels left out who might hate their job. We pray that you'd give them a vision and inspiration for how you can reshape their work environments. 
whether it's flipping burgers or making coffee or wherever they find themselves Monday through Friday, we pray that you'd give them the vision and the imagination to think about how the kingdom could impact in those spaces in small, ordinary, and simple ways. And we just trust you with everything else. It's your name we pray.